Today, we're going to think further about the subject of how we can present a joyful witness to that God of grace and mercy. In the next couple of weeks, next week and the week after, we're going to plumb right deep into the how-tos of sharing our faith with other people. We're going to discover how we overcome some of the natural anxiety we feel around this particular subject and bear witness to the hope that lies within us. This morning, I want to make sure that we really get what we are trying to give, however. Uh, I'm going to focus our energy this morning on grasping in a deeper way the nature of the gospel message for ourselves. The Apostle Paul once wrote, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And if you and I are going to go out into this world of skepticism or secularism or just plain boredom with the faith, then it is going to be enormously important that we live with a similar kind of conviction. But to get to that place of conviction, it is crucial that we really grasp what this gospel is and in what sense it truly is the key to the salvation of this world. Years ago, the German theologian Karl Barth told a group of his students that if they wanted to have a really significant impact on the lives of other people, they should take a newspaper in one hand and a Bible in the other hand and help people interpret the former in light of the latter, through the lens of the latter. To be effective witnesses, Bart was saying, we need to have a very good grasp of both the daily news and the divine news. In fact, the more acquainted we are with the daily news, he suggested, the easier it becomes to see why the divine news is so very good. So very good. So let's start with the daily news, shall we, this morning? Scan the daily news and you will be reminded that life today is a complicated affair. And the events and circumstances of this past week are simply indicative of that complexity. There are indeed many times when things seem to be getting better with the world. There are moments when it appears as if we're addressing our most significant problems, that we're making progress as a people, that we're shaping a planet that we can pass on to the next generations with pride. And then there are those moments when it doesn't feel anything like that, when it feels nothing like that. There are those times when all of the positive press, the froth, just does not make up somehow for the persuasive feeling, the persistent experience of those nagging issues that define far too much of life on this earth. Every day we meet people, for example, who seem, in spite of all of their strengths and good qualities, to be operating from a fundamental lack within themselves. 
Even the most talented and the most celebrated people that we encounter in our culture still often seem to exhibit a level of, of grasping and dodging, of preening and positioning that seems to betray, in spite of all of their apparent success, a deep lack within, a deep problem at their core. It's as if something at the center of people some source of unimpeachable identity and security has been lost. And they've become so separated from this strength that their lives are now filled with this anxious, uncertain, insecure reaching. Without a whole and healthy center, people become unhealthy in all kinds of other ways, too. We hear another report about a parent or a teacher or a religious figure violating a sacred trust with devastating consequences on other people. We groan over the corporate and political leaders who abuse their position so that now other people have to pay. We see excess and vanity routinely being paraded as the right, if not the true mark of celebrity. We encounter people who eat too often, who work too little, or who demand too much. We learn of another marriage dissolving. We hear about another role model falling, another wanton act of brutality or terror, and we wonder sometimes... Is there any solution to this? Is there any solution to the character issue in human life? For many people today, truth is also up for grabs. While we have pretty much come to accept the idea that there are certain reliable truths that govern the physical world, people increasingly disbelieve that there are the same kind of dependable verities governing the spiritual or the moral world. If so-and-so was born into such-and-such faith or that particular moral code, then why would you try to convert them? Some people will say. Does it really matter what someone thinks about God as long as they're sincere about it. If this belief or this behavior works for me, then who are you to say that I am wrong? All of this seems like a tremendously charitable way to handle human differences. And frankly, human differences require charity, don't they? But if this is so, If truth is so flexibly defined, by what right will we ever challenge the systematic oppression of the poor or of women or of particular races as that oppression exists in our world today? By what basis? If truth is so flexibly and personally defined, then on what basis do we judge people who seek to destroy other people through violence, since even terrorists are very sincere about their faith. Is there anywhere a set of principles? Can there be found anywhere we look 
a set of dependable truths which over the long course of history have proven themselves more reliable in producing a culture of hope and life and opportunity and freedom for people than any other worldview in the marketplace of ideas. Can such a vision of truth be found? The national and world news today is also colored by problems that seem so intractable that people increasingly despair of anything really changing. I mean, we have the best education ever. We have the best technology ever. We have more money and comfort than ever. And we have more complex, difficult, insoluble issues, it seems, than ever. In many inner cities today, school systems are under-resourced, educational outcomes atrocious. A stunning percentage of homes are parented by single moms or by the street gangs that parent kids largely living in fatherless situations. These kids go into a relentless cycle of crime and incarceration from which they do not know how to escape. Millions, millions of people die every single year of diseases and malnutrition for which solutions absolutely exist. Millions more are aborted before they take their very first breath of life. A scandalous number of the elderly and the mentally ill languish in institutions and never get a visit from an outsider. Staggering volumes of people People who are otherwise seemingly intelligent people are out there buying, buying products they do not need with money they do not have to impress people they do not like. (laughs) The landfills grow ever larger as the rainforests grow ever smaller. Governments are gridlocked by special interests while citizens struggle to think beyond their own private personal interest. Where are we going to find the perspective? Where are we ever going to find the power to change these conditions? As if all of these scenarios were not dark enough for a Sunday. Lingering over human life is also the ultimate shadow, and you know it. You may push it out of your mind at moments, but you know it's there. Sooner or later, the people with whom we've lived and laughed and loved are going to die. No one gets out alive. None of us. All of us terminal. Accident, illness, violence, something will take us. The obituary pages of our newspapers are crammed with microprint. It overwhelms me sometimes to read through those pages. The microprint is desperately trying to tell the tale of somebody whose actual imprint on somebody was so large, so multicolored, that the entire newspaper wouldn't do justice to that one story, that one human life. And one of these days, it's going to be your name on that page, or mine, next to two fixed dates, the whole of our life reduced to a dash. 
is this all there is? It might be bearable if it were. If human life on this earth was largely a journey filled with love, if our experience in life was one in which gracious relationships abounded, forgiveness triumphed, kindness and encouragement was the norm, courtesy and consideration for everybody else was pervasive, if this was the experience for us, maybe this one lifetime would be enough. Yet in the stories, the stories we constantly read about of children forgotten or abused, in the tales of marriages or business partnerships torn asunder, in the record of politicians and pundits and preachers shredding others without civility, we see the face of a world where love is too little. It's just too little. How could it become otherwise? Can these issues be solved? Beloved in the Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, I say to you that the answer to that question is yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. The message that you and I and anyone else who proclaims himself a follower of Jesus Christ are called to joyfully share with this world is that into this planet has broken an answer to the daily news. For God so loved this world, wrote the Apostle John, that he sent his one and only son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I want to talk with you in the time we have remaining today about the nature of that salvation. I want to give you the fastest theology lesson you've ever had, maybe the first one you've ever had. I want you to think with me very briefly about six crucial dimensions of the gospel message because it's so important to understand this message so that we're in a better position to really share it with others. And the first and most important piece of the divine news is simply this. You can get reunited with God. You and everyone you know can get reunited with God. In Jesus Christ, the God of mercy and grace, entered history to restore the relationship broken between him and his creatures. He came to fill the hole in our soul that leads us to this restless striving. He came to fill it absolutely and fully to overflowing with his very self. 
For God was in Christ, wrote the Apostle Paul, reconciling the world to himself, reuniting the world with himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave to us this wonderful message of reconciliation. This wonderful message is the core of the gospel. It's the primary element of the gospel. It is the answer to the core issue of human life. And the theological word for this reuniting with God is justification. It literally means to get right, to get realigned with God. No one needs to go around anymore. Nobody needs to go around anxiously wondering if they matter, anxiously worrying about the ultimate consequences of their actions, anxiously striving for approval and power and influence in these ways because when they've been reunited with God, he fills that hole in the soul. And they live from a center of peace and confidence and hope that changes things, alters the core issue. Any one of us or the people we know can ask God to come in to wash away our sins and he will reunite us with himself and a new life will begin that day if you've never asked him. Invite him in. Be reunited. Get reunited with the God of love who comes to you in Jesus. Witnesses also share with people the good news that once they have welcomed God into their hearts, other things begin to change. God begins to address from the core on out the character issue that is so troubling to so many of us. The power of God actually makes it possible to overcome our character flaws. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly than you have now. Jesus said, if you remain in me and I remain in you at the core, you will bear much fruit I will grow in you the very fruit of my spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, generosity, faithfulness, self-control, humility. The list goes on. This is the character I will shape in you. The theological word for this process of the transformation of our character is sanctification. And it means to be made holy, to be made abundantly whole as God is. A further element of the gospel is that we no longer need to live in confusion when it comes to the trust issue either. Jesus says that you can set your course by reliable truth. You don't need to guess. You don't need to spend your life searching. You don't need to wonder if maybe this or maybe that. Jesus has promised, I am the way. I am the truth, 
the way to life. And if you come to me, if you hold to my teaching, said Jesus, then you are really my disciples. And you shall know the truth. You shall learn the truth. And that truth will set you free. So many people are bound today. So many of us are caught up in prison by the mental models we hold, by, by our whole unapproach to life, that we don't know how to unlock a larger world for ourselves. Jesus does. He does. In his word, he provides us with specific truth that helps us in managing money, in communicating with others, in resolving conflicts, in overcoming temptation, in raising kids, in leading people, in treating the elderly, in living wisely and well, in all kinds of other spheres of life. And the word for this learning process is discipleship. And it comes from the root word that simply means to learn by imitating. Jesus invites us to share with the world that there are truths we can learn which will reliably build a better life, family, and world. And to all of us struggling for direction in these areas, this, it seems to me, is very good news. The gospel message is also good news for everyone concerned about the change issue, the world change issue. Our message to others is that you can participate in the renewal of this world. Don't give up. Don't despair. You can participate in the renewal of this world. You know, on the day that Jesus left the planet, Acts chapter 1, his disciples were profoundly concerned about the conditions in which he was leaving it. In fact, somewhat anxiously and frantically, as they saw that he was making preparations to depart, they said, Jesus, at this time, are you going to restore the the kingdom to Israel? I mean, are you going to get rid of the Romans? Are you going to sort out the problems here in our land? Jesus, what's your plan? And Jesus responded, here's my plan. You will be my witnesses. You're my plan. You're my plan. As Jesus ascended into the heavens, an angel came and saw the look of panic on the faces of the new plan. Right? And so the angels, go back and read it this afternoon, Acts chapter 1, reminded them that this Jesus they'd seen go was going to come back just as they'd seen him depart And one day, when he comes, will fully change everything. When Jesus comes the second time, the Bible declares Christ, and I'm quoting Jesus here, will make everything new. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things will have passed away. And the theological word for this renewal of the whole creation is the word redemption. 
God is going to take this wilderness that sin created and he's going to make it a garden all over again. Revelation 22. Because we have confidence in that ultimate outcome, we do not despair. There is no news that we will hear today or read in the newspaper tomorrow so tragic, so difficult, that it would drive us to despair because we know, we've read to the end of the book and we know the ending. God wins. Life and love wins. It does not mean, however, that we simply rest on the couch content in that reality. The very existence of that coming world draws us toward it. We're moved with a compelling sense of opportunity to take part in whatever smaller works of renewal we can propagate now. Jesus calls us as his disciples to be like that distinctive salt, like that illuminating light that is the portending of the even greater thing to come. You can tell people. You can tell people. Come participate with me in God's renewal of this world. The gospel is also spectacularly good news for all of us who shake with sadness or quake with fear in the face of the mortality issue. I am the resurrection and the life, says Jesus. And whosoever believes in me will live even though they die. The promise of Jesus is that if you put your hand into his hand in this life, you need never fear the grave because it's not your permanent home. Jesus says that if you put your hand to the hand that he extends to you, you don't need to worry. You don't need to grieve other believers that have died, gone before you as those who are without hope. In the twinkling of an eye, the dead will be raised imperishable, say the scriptures. On the last day, Jesus will resurrect the followers of him into a staggering new kind of life. God will give us an entirely new kind of body, no longer subject to decay, no longer clothed with mortality, but now enshrouded in immortality. And as witnesses, we share with anybody who will listen this wonderful news, you can enjoy life beyond the grave. You can. I want you there with me. But the message of the Bible is good news in one more amazing sense. Not only will we be given glorious new bodies on the day of resurrection, we will also be given entirely transformed hearts. That is very good news. Because you know what? It would be a good thing if I got to trade in this old body I've got. But it would take me 
only a couple of years, given the heart I have, to wreck this one too. And maybe to wreck other people too. Even more than I need a new body, I need a new will. I need a whole new orientation. Better than the one I have. And the Apostle Paul says, that's coming. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For those Christ justified, reunited with God, he also glorified, completed in God. The Apostle John fills out this picture when he says later in one of his letters, for we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And this is the doctrine of glorification. God's nature, you see, and I'm almost at a close, so hang with me here. His nature is absolute love. Those whose lives are rooted and established in the love of God in this life tend to become more loving. I mean, it just is the upsurge or outflow of his nature truly working at the core of our lives. But one day, we're going to stand with Jesus face to face and forevermore. The veil is going to be pulled back. The glass in which we see darkly will be removed, and we will look eye to eye. We're going to no longer wonder. We're no longer going to have just a hint or a shade of God's true nature. We are going to see him as he is, say the scriptures. And we will behold this glorious love of his, and like a great magnet imputing its properties to a lesser metal drawn close, Christ's character will become fully yours. I don't mean you'll be a little bit like him. I don't mean that you'll be sort of suggestive of him. I don't think you'll just remind people of him. I mean you will be like him in his glorious love for everyone you meet, for God himself for even your own self. And you will live in a gloriously unbroken love relationship for all of eternity. Tell people this good news. Come to Christ and you will love with the greatest love of all. My friends, do you see a little bit better why Paul was not ashamed of the gospel? Paul saw that it was the only real hope for salvation from all of the issues that have plagued humanity since the beginning. The question I want to ask of you in closing today is simply this. Who do you know who needs this hope? Who do you know? Who do you know who once they took it in 
would realize how richly blessed they were to know that they can get reunited with God, overcome their character flaws, set their life's course by reliable truth, participate in the renewal of this world, enjoy life beyond the grave, and love with the greatest love of all. Because, beloved, this is the gospel. This grand vision is the hope of salvation for everyone who believes. And far from being embarrassed or anxious about it. We are joyful to witnessing to this message, aren't we? Why? Why? Why are we so joyful, so hopeful, so confident? This is why. Because the gospel is the very good news that some people you know who are getting very weary living within the daily news are more ready than you realize. to hear from you, from someone as credible as you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen.